You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shake and Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey, folks, welcome back finally to another episode of The Retail Perch with a guest. I guess the last three episodes, Gary, it was just you and me chatting, and maybe our listeners are like, it's about time we got a guest here. So, <laughs> they so us. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Anyway, you know, this is this is a fascinating guest we have here. I think it's, a again, a first for the retail perch. And we're on episode number 65 or 66. I'm not sure. But it's been a lot of fun. And I think what's unique about this guest, Gary, is, of course, you know, uh, Tommy, for those who don't know, who are listening to this, also used to be an opening act for several big stand-up comedian names. And I'm not guaranteeing you anything, but I'm sure you're going to be laughing through the show with a couple of things here and there that we're expecting Tommy to quip on. But besides that, we're going to have a great conversation. So, Tommy, welcome to the Retail Perch. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And uh, so, Tommy, if you can take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from? You know, your background, your history. You seem to have an amazing career. And and finally, founder of Ops Analytica. Tell us what it's all about. Yeah, I've had a goofy career, but it's been awesome. So I'm a restaurant guy, first and foremost. I've had an amazing career. You know, I started off in the restaurant industry at 14 years old. Uh, I used to work at making cheese steaks at the Columbia Mall in Columbia, Maryland, where I grew up. And I just had a love for the hospitality industry. And what's interesting about that is that both my grandfathers were immigrants to this country, and they both were restaurateurs, one in New York City, one down in North Carolina. And my parents saw what that life was like, and they went full bore tech. They had nothing to do with restaurants, didn't want a thing to do with them. My dad was a rocket scientist. He worked at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Labs, and my mom worked at Lockheed. And they were both like, why would you go into restaurants? What's wrong with you? You know, because they had seen, especially my dad, had seen how his dad had struggled so bad in the industry towards the end of his life. And so I just, I went to, I got out to Denver because I got the University of Denver Hotel Restaurant School. It's one of the top uh, hotel restaurant programs. And then as soon as I graduated, I went back east to be a country club manager. And then within like two months of doing that, I was like getting my butt kicked. First job out of hotel restaurant school, which like so many first jobs out of college, you realize that your education means nothing in the real world, you know, and you don't know how to do anything. And I was just getting my butt kicked. And I remember telling a friend of mine who actually is a bar owner here in town. And she was like, I was like, I should just be a stand-up comic. That'd be so much funner and easier than this. And she was like, you should. You don't want to be 40 with a wife and kids and a mortgage in the suburbs, which by the way, I have all of that except for I'm 50 now. And, uh, you know, and be like regretting that when you were 23, you didn't do stand-up. And so I tried it. I just said, okay, I wrote six minutes of horrible material. I went down to Light Street in Baltimore and I did an open mic. And I was like, this is amazing. And so for the next 10 years, that's all I did was stand-up. Um, and I traveled all over the country here uh, in Colorado, all over the Western U.S. and a little bit on the East Coast too. And I would work restaurant jobs the whole time. You know, I, would man- I managed some restaurants and I was also a waiter at like Dick's Last Resort in Chicago and in Denver. And so I just did that 
And then in my like mid thirties, I kind of got tired of being broke and I wanted a couch and I wanted like health insurance and I just was getting a little bit older and uh, it was sort of the early 2000s. And so I ended up going back to grad school at University of Denver, got an MBA. And then I kind of got into corporate restaurants at that point and sort of started my career career and, uh, and then ended up uh, basically building something at Quiznos when I worked there that ended up being the predecessor for Ops Analytica today, which is an operations management platform. So hmm. wow. that's how I got here. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting career path. Absolutely. And I'm actually working on a comedy show right now as well with a couple of buddies and we have a couple of big stars attached and we're just in the process of like trying to uh, get a pilot shot. So I'm doing that with a bunch of my Denver comedy friends. So that's kind of fun too. Nice. That's, that's, that's amazing. So, I mean, your, your comedy career is amazing in itself, but apart from that, which, what did you learn at Quiznos that you started building this beta version of your final product? You know, you know, every job you have is like, you have to just like, look at the opportunity that came out of it. Right. Or what did you learn? Right. So I was at Quiznos in 2008. My first job at Quiznos was franchise assistance program manager. So to Quiznos is the largest franchise implosion in the world, like, you know, 5,000 plus locations down to, I would assume around 300 to 350 today. And so my first job was just listening to people whose businesses were, were dying. And that was my second MBA. Cause I had just gotten out of MBA school. I'd had a, a sort of interim consulting job for about six, eight months. And then I got this job and all day long, 2008, uh, financial implosion, 2008, the start of the Quiznos decline and the real estate implosion too. And I would literally just be on the phone talking to people all day long, send me $4,000 or my business is going to close. Like that was the call I was getting. And that, so that was like my second MBA on like what the, the psychology around someone whose business is failing, which is a very interesting psychology of what I noticed happening. But then I got promoted, like they shifted everybody around, they fired all these people. And then I got kind of moved into an op services role and they needed me to report off of all the audits we were doing. So we were sending out our field team into the field to go visit the stores every day, pretty much across the country to confirm were they clean, were they ready, were they gonna stay open? We were trying to handicap like who was gonna close. And so, you know, typical, like this is 2008, right? So my, the COO comes to me and says, hey, you've got to find a way to report on all these audits we're doing. And their idea was, is that I would just sit around with my assistant and hand enter 5,000 audits a month into an Excel spreadsheet. And I was like, you just fired everyone. Like I've got a hundred unanswered emails at every minute of the day. Like you, there's no way I can do this. And so then I went to IT, right? Which is what you do when you're a middle manager and you need tech support from corporate. And they did what any good IT department would do. They said, no, we're not doing it. Have fun telling the bosses that we're not doing this. And I was like, okay, well, that's good. And so then I ended up building it myself. So I built an audit platform um, using like a program called Form Router actually at the time. And it was like a 2008 Palm phone, like audit platform and how to be connected but you could go into a restaurant and you could fill out an audit on a phone. And then I could download it from a server into an Excel and report off of it. And they used that for years after I was gone, like maybe till 2012. Hmm. So that, that was the predecessor for Ops Analytica. Hmm. Wow. wow. And, and I bet 
all those phone calls, listening to all those operators, you know, going out of business, had to be just an incredible learning experience to see the, the common causes across a big group of operators. Well, you know, it was interesting. It was so depressing. It was like such a hard job, right? Because, you know, you knew, like, I couldn't do anything to help these people. I mean, in reality, all I was enabled to do was give them delivery. But you're already taking an unsophisticated delivery, to, excuse me, an unsophisticated operator who's struggling financially. And I could only help them. Like, all I could do is say, hey, here's our delivery platform. I'll give it to you for free. It's like six grand. But then you have to go try executing delivery. Well, you can't even execute your shop without delivery. Delivery adds all kinds of complexity, right? I did get one person a road sign in California. That was like my big win. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but they still went out of business. Um, but like, here's the, this is the most interesting thing I thought, the psychology of this, is that because an entrepreneur, and I'm an entrepreneur, it's my second company now, as entrepreneurs, we go out there and we tell our friends and our family, we're going to do this. We're going to be successful, right? We put ourselves out there and we risk. And that is the best thing about, like, that's such a great talent or skill or whatever you want to say. I don't know how you describe it, but it was also what kept these people so they got so much deeper in debt than they needed to because of the entrepreneurial spirit, right? So the entrepreneurial spirit is a double-edged sword. It's what gets you out of bed and makes you keep fighting every day to build your company and to live your dream, but it can also put you into crushing debt. And what I figured out was, is that these people would call me, they'd call me like in, you know, whatever, February, they'd be like, I'm 40 grand in debt. I had to go get a day job help me. And I'd be like, send me your financials. Let me do some analysis, blah, 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 blah. Then they would call me back in like August and they'd be like, I'm 150 grand in debt. I'm going to get kicked out of my building. But because they could never quit. They could never, ever stop battling. And they needed, they needed to get fired, right? And the only people that can fire an entrepreneur are your landlord, your suppliers, or your bank. <laughs> and so, and I was never allowed to tell them, you know, you should quit because that's just, I wasn't allowed to do that. And so, you know, you would just watch them get deeper and deeper in debt and keep calling me like every month or two. And I would just watch that number grow, but they couldn't bring themselves to quit. And it was like, you just wanted to bang your head on the desk. Like, what are you doing? It's not getting better. Like, right. do you not see the trend? Like, stop. You're killing yourself. You know, it was insanity. Hmm. Well, so, so if you would turn, I, I spent a little bit of time on your website and yep. see, you know, you work across a number of different sectors, but explain to us a little bit and our listeners, you know, just how your platform works. Sure. And what, what I was really interested in is how you're capturing that operational data, that information. Sure. So we're an operations management platform, right? And um, so what that means is that we help our clients manage their workforces and measure their performance. Um, just like a POS system does that for sales, we do that for human activity, right? So every business, every multi-location business, it's retail, restaurants, automotive, dental, you know, it doesn't matter. You have certain checklists or certain like procedures that you need to do every single shift to make sure that you're safe, that you're ready for customers 
and that you're ready to maximize the sales opportunity for that day, right? So before I open my doors, I got to make sure the shirts are folded or that I've stocked the, the straws or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And so most of the time that those processes up until really the advent of, or the invent of uh, like tablets, those processes were something that we spent a lot of money and time training people to memorize, which a bad way to go. They're in a binder that nobody looks at or they're taped to the wall and everyone ignores them. Right. Yep. And so what ends up happening is, is that people just their brains can't handle all of the complexity that they have to go through now and all the individual tasks. So by taking those and putting them into the app, we can schedule them out. We can tell people what they need to do, when they need to do it. And if they encounter an issue, we can provide them right in line, you know, a video on how to fix it or take them through several mm -hmm. steps to remediate the issue. And so really what we're doing is we're just helping those line employees uh, just be better at their jobs, right? Um, whether it's the manager or, or an employee who opened the store that day, we can help them get better at their day job and not have as much stress because they don't have to memorize all this stuff. They just simply have it in front of them. It's easy peasy. But the benefit of that is that we start doing a better job of consistently controlling what we need to control at the store level, which allows us to then deliver better customer satisfaction, better experiences, um, more profitability, you know, higher sales, because we're just doing what we need to do every single day correctly. And then the, the ultimate benefit of it is, is now we have all of this operational data that was just getting lost on pieces of paper and clipboards. Now I can sit down and see exactly what my number one problem is. And I can address it and I can address the performance of my team all the way up. So like from the, from the guy who's the shift worker on Sunday morning to the CEO can all utilize the platform to figure out what do we need to do? What should we be focusing on? How can I coach and develop better? And so that's kind of what we do. And, and so the data input is a phone and generally a checklist or a log or a form. And then the data, just as soon as it gets submitted, it just becomes available to be analyzed. Yep. So, so this form that's being created on this app, is that customized to the business or do you yep. have like template forms? It's all customized. Everybody has the forms and they don't like everybody, even though all their businesses are basically the same, they're 80% the same. They're all different based off of menu items, equipment, you know, the, the, the culture. So they're always customized. And what makes our platform like technologically unique within this space is that we have the most powerful logic engine, like business logic engine. So it's a rule builder. And that rule builder allows us to do things like dynamic checklists. It allows us to rate data accuracy as it's being collected. So if you're trying to like make a decision on the data we've collected, you can literally push a button and say accurate data versus not accurate data. And you so if you're making a decision on, you know, if you want to make a decision on hey, what should we do in this problem? You want to filter it to the accurate data. But if you're trying to figure out who needs coaching and help, you might want to go to the not accurate data. And that hmm. just identifies all the people who weren't doing it accurately. You know, And we can do like we call a dynamic checklist and a mass customized checklist. So as an example, one of my clients is Qdoba. And Qdoba has one temperature log that they use for their entire 750 restaurants. But that 
that they're 90% the same, but each building is 10% different, right? And so with that 10% difference, you have, um, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's those little things that are just different that change by store, by menu, by equipment. That one temp log can literally um, morph as it loads to each location. So it basically dynamically changes itself. So every location gets the checklist that's perfectly designed for what they're doing. And so that's what, that's like, that's a huge game changer for us. Interesting. Wow. And, and so where do you see the operational efficiencies happen? I mean, so this data is coming back to aggregated and being reported to headquarters. Yep. And how is somebody acting on that data? So that, that's different by chain, but what's really interesting about this whole thing is that where you start to see the efficiencies come in place is one, now, like most people, if you don't have a platform like mine that's actually measuring and managing operations, then you basically are backing into how good your operations are by looking at other indicators, right? So you might have an audit, a third-party auditor that comes in, or you're gonna look at sales, food, uh, labor costs, uh, product costs, you know, depending on what industry you're in. And so you're general and customer service numbers, and you're taking all these, what I would also call lagging indicators of operations, right? Sales, profitability, costs, all that customer satisfaction. Those all happen after you've actually interacted with the business and you're backing into how well is this guy doing, right? Um, and, and, you're trying, and you're trying to guess what your issues are because you don't know. And so you're just trying to use experience and guesswork to try to figure out what you should be addressing. So by just having an operations management platform in place, you can actually just see what your problem is. You, and so it just saves a massive amounts of time and ambiguity and missteps that companies make because they actually can just see what the issue is now. And also the platform is, because it is used on a daily basis across all your locations, it also becomes the preferred method, not just for doing daily operational things, which is a very small part of what we end up doing, it becomes the way that chain can manage all of the things that chain needs to manage to, to be correct. So like, you know, if you've got like locations in Seattle, then you have different labor laws than you do in Denver, than you do in Chicago. So like, and there are fines and penalties, you know what I mean? And so like they start utilizing the platform, like as an example, just I'll stick with Qdoba. When, when they first came on, they were going to do four or five checklists in the platform. Now they have over 120 and they use them to manage every aspect of their business from, you know, they're putting in screens and they're adding second lines and they're putting in, you know, delivery stations and they're managing labor compliance and COVID. I have like millions of data points because I was one of the first hmm. people to get a COVID checklist out there in like March of 20. And so I've got, I have probably more COVID health screen data than anybody else that I can think of because I was capturing it for everybody. You know, and so like, it's just anything you can think of that you need to do to manage your chain can be accomplished within the platform. And it becomes easier the more stuff you put in there because you start getting rid of the survey monkeys and the Google forms and all the other, the emails that you used to send out to collect information from your units. It all just goes through the platform. Now you just throw it on a schedule, shows up at the top of the screen, people answer it. You download it into an Excel, boom, you're on to the next thing. So, you know? so, so you're capturing both tasks that have to be done every day, like yep. clean the bathroom, sweep the floor, empty yep. the garbage, et cetera. 
as well as different issues that arise during the day, like a slip and fall in aisle three or the soda machine broke or. Yeah. And like, and, and we're also able to crowdsource data from the teams in the field too, which is like the wealth of knowledge. Like, so, Hey, we've noticed like on our audits that we have puddles under the soda machines, they can literally just field a question. Hey, do you have a puddle of water under your soda machine? Do and they, you know, if you do, what do you do to solve it? What do you think's causing it? We have that exact example, and it's probably uh, hold on, it's probably one of the best uh, examples that we've gotten of the power of the platform. And and it was from one of our uh, chains, and they said you kept us from making a million dollar mistake because they were getting feedback right that said, hey, the restaurants are dirty. And so their initial thought process was, and this is right when they had started with us, they were like, we got to put a couple more hours of labor uh, on the restaurants every day. We're going to do two hours at lunch, two hours at dinner, and we will, uh, and that's what will keep the dining rooms clean, clean. You know what I mean? Mm. And then what ended up happening was that they got the platform in place and they said, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper. We have this ability to capture all this data and, and, and crowdsource information. So they started putting in, like checklists for the DMs, the district managers to come in and look at the restaurants. They started asking the associates in the restaurants. And what they figured out was, this is actually a trash can being too small problem, right? Oh. And so they were able to, instead of what would have been five plus million dollars in new labor, which would have been totally the right answer if you had no more data to clarify. Right. Instead of doing that, they just dug deeper, they used the platform, and then they were able to figure out um, that, hey, the real issue is trash cans, which is a $20 fix, you know, and only in some stores. And so they came back and they said, you kept us from making a million dollar mistake. Wow. Like you enabled us to do that. And it was like, that like, I, I almost cried because, you know, after battling it out for like, at that time, it would have been like six or five or six years to hear that kind of feedback, because that was like the dream from day one that had that kind of impact. Like I, I almost just like broke down in tears. It was crazy. <laughs> so does, does do employees, are they kind of like mandated to use this process or this app that the employer provides to them through which they're providing this? Yes, exactly. So the, so the, the employer buys the app and then they provide it to the employees. They schedule out the checklist. We work with them. We build out the checklist. We build out the schedules. And then they utilize the platform to uh, in the store. And so then the employees come in, they grab the company tablet or they can use their phones because they can use the Wi-Fi in the building and they go and they just complete their tasks. Hmm. And, and so we, and we charge by the location. We don't charge by the user. Uh, right. Because we won't want to, we don't want to negatively incentivize people from using the platform, right? Like, right. I want everyone using it for everything. So we just flat fee per location, and then and you just use yeah. it. Mm, that's cool. That's really cool. I mean, Gary, I mean, obviously, you know, supermarkets have large workforces, and there's oh. typically plenty of things operationally that they have to execute from changing labels to cleaning the floors to God knows what yeah. else billion things right and it's a distributed workforce and you know very often what you see is uh you know poor in-store execution of new yeah. campaigns right that's a huge problem like you can do all the work you want in marketing to set up all the signboards and do everything but yeah. 
convince your personal alarm trained properly to do what they need to do, it never really reaches the potential, right? Well, yeah. And yeah. So, so, so we're in a bunch of grocery stores now. Um, we're in there through the sushi counters, and then we're also starting to go in more on the grocery store side. But that thing you just mentioned, the LTO execution is a huge use case for the platform, right? Because instead, what we used to do is send a district manager to every single location to go physically check to make sure the signage was up, the register was programmed correctly, you know, all the different little aspects were, you know, uh, executed properly. Now, the manager at the store just has to do that. We schedule it for the couple of days before the launch. They might have Monday to Wednesday to get it all done, and they're taking photos of the whole thing. So now, as a district manager, I can literally go to one dashboard and look at all the pictures of, that they took and go, okay, cool, we're good, you know, and then they can follow up and coach the guy who hasn't executed it correctly because there's nothing, and this was a big problem at Quiznos, we'd run these big national ad campaigns trying to drive some sales, and then the stores wouldn't execute it correctly. And yep. I call it marketing yourself off a cliff. And I have a picture on my blog of that, of Thelma and Louise driving off that cliff. But it's because if you accelerate the amount of bad experiences people are having with your brand, then you're actually hurting your business, right? Right. And that's what we were doing at Quiznos all the time. Yeah. So, so Tommy, I'm curious, did you see an increase in, in your business, you know, more uh, merchants, retailers, et cetera, coming to you as the whole pandemic got underway? Because, you know, what I saw happening across retail is, yeah. you know, retailers struggling as, uh, you know, cleaning and sanitation processes were, were changing by the day, yeah. regulations were changing by the hour, uh, you know, opening, closing hours. Uh, they struggled with communicating not only to the stores, but to all the people within those stores. Absolutely. You know, a platform like yours it solves that. Yeah, one of the quotes we got from one of our clients that were using the COVID checklist. So, you know, when when the pandemic happened, everything stopped. Obviously, we were most we were at that point pretty much ninety nine percent restaurant. So I was just like, oh man, this might be it right here. You know, luckily we only lost like two chains. Hmm. Amazing. Wow. We lost Alamo Draft House, which I love, and I hope they come back. They have one here in town, and we lost uh, it's a company called Comcast Spectacor which was a, uh, they operate large arenas. So like the one up in Loveland, yep. up, uh, the Budweiser thing, they operate that arena. So they operate okay. like big things in casinos and stuff like that. So, anyway, so we only lost two, thank the Lord, because I was like really ready. So to like lose them all. But what ended up happening was, and this is the quote we got was, thank uh, from two chains, Qdoba and Denny's, by the way, both were like, Denny said, we could not have gotten through COVID without you guys, because Denny's wasn't set up like a lot of restaurants were to be okay during the pandemic. They don't have patios. They had a to-go program, but no one really thinks of Denny's as to-go, you know? And so, and they were very heavy in like states where they were locked down for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. So Denny's utilized us to help shut the restaurants down, to reopen them, to do COVID screens. Um, they also utilized us a lot to help them build out they have all these digital virtual brands now that you don't even know are getting cooked out of a Denny's, but they're the burger brand. They have a patty melt brand. I think they have, they have all these brands that they were able to create, test the food using the platform. Right. So, and it just helped them be flexible. The other quote I got was basically like, 
if we had to, if we didn't have ops analytic and we were doing this on paper by the time the paper hit the restaurants it would have been completely obsolete every single time because of the rapidity of the change right yeah so it, it just was it was miserable but the, the reason why a system like this is so key in in any multi-location business is you don't have to train people on the individual processes and all the individual stuff and you don't have to do a rollout and a training guide all the time you just got to get people to know how to use the system and follow the schedule and that's the easiest thing ever and then you can more you can put whatever process in there you want to do because it is a platform just like an excel is a platform if you will it's always looks the same right so it always right. operates the same but the data you're collecting is different but it's, it can be whatever you need it to be in, in that respect. And so if you needed to change your COVID, your COVID procedure, you simply went in and changed the process, hit save, and then it literally went live to every location in your chain instantaneously. And because it looked the same, it might just be slightly different, different content, different questions. You know, we weren't asking about smell and taste at the beginning. We were asking about fever and cough, but smell and taste came in later. Well, adding that to your COVID screen took 30 seconds, you know, yeah. people huh. just, you required it to be answered. They answered it and they moved on. You didn't have to do a so whole dog and pony show. Right. So who's the final user? I mean, of course, uh, the employees use it and then the data is coming back and who at corporate is actually looking at this data? Is it like an ops manager? Ops services, ops, uh, it, it just depends. Yeah, it's operations and it's ops services. It's gotcha. QA for quality assurance. Um, but it just depends like, you know, Denny's because they're such a large franchise organization, they don't own that many of their own restaurants, they utilize the platform completely different than like a, a pot belly, where they're like utilizing the platform pretty much for all their corporate stores. So dip, they're using it for different things, right? The pot belly is using it for daily operations and, and auditing and making sure their stores are, are being the best they can be because they care about profits, mm -hmm. right? Denny's cares about sales because, you know, 1,650 of their 1,700 stores are uh, franchised. So they get paid off sales. So they care more about sales and high level execution than they care about profits. The profits are the franchisees responsibility. So they, so even though they're both restaurant chains because of their structure, they manage completely differently yeah. based on, you know, how, what they care about. And so different departments look at it. So like Denny's really utilizes it much more for auditing, but also new menu launches, new menu tests, equipment tests, making sure that they know what's actually happening before they mandate something across their entire system, you know? So how do you ensure something like compliance and authenticity of information being put in? So I can't. That's like, and I, trust me, I thought if you got an idea, tell me, I'd love to hear it because like, <laughs> The reality is, is that I can't make people do something or be honest. All I can do is flag that I think that they're not being honest and that they're not doing stuff. So we schedule everything so we can manage, we, so we, we schedule everything so we can measure schedule compliance because we want people to do things. We want them to do them, but we also want them to do them at the times they're supposed to do them. Right. So back in the day, what you would do is just grab a cigarette and a cup of coffee and sit in the back and you would just bang out your checklist for the day. Right. Now I say you can't do your dinner checklist until right before dinner, 
you know? And then I have this thing that I created called data accuracy scoring, right? And I look at the data that's being, because I collect the data, right? I have the mechanism for collection. I can actually grade the accuracy of the data as it's coming in. And I look at it on several attributes um, that I can measure within the platform. And then I grade the quality of the data when it goes into the database. So that's what I was talking about earlier, where you can go hit a button and say accurate or not accurate. Yeah. Because I know that you didn't use a thermometer and you were supposed to, or you weren't even on site when you answered that question. You know what right. I mean? Like I can find those things out and I can just like kind of flag the data and say, yeah. eh, not as good. Don't use this for decision-making, use this for coaching. Right, right. No, it's fascinating. I mean, I can see a lot of applications in the supermarket industry because, you know, typically huge workforce, right? It's it takes a lot, hundreds yeah. of people to manage a store. And yeah. And very often it's, uh, there's a constant churn, you know, right? There's a lot of part-time people coming in and going out and having to train each person uh, to do all the tasks instead of having some kind of automated checklist being provided says, hey, this is what you need to do next. I can see that being probably. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fascinating how you've, in a way, sort of combined your grandparents' work with your parents work and brought them together and uh you know what you do today this is really neat yeah it, 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 family has creates ops analytica <laughs> i know and like and i'm like what's crazy about me too is like i'm first generation like i'm the i guess i'm second generation greek puerto rican too which is another weird aspect to me two such strong restaurant cultures right the Greeks and the Puerto Ricans. And I used to joke that I was like conceived in a dish pit because <laughs> like, how do those people get together? Like only in America and or in today's world, do you right. get such interesting combinations of people, right? Like just, you know, a hundred years ago, a Greek and a Puerto Rican would never have met each other. That's right. <laughs> and I'm Romanian too, which my mom told me I have bark gypsy blood in me. So my kids go. <laughs> Well, I think that's uh, your hand gestures give that away, Tom. Absolutely. Oh, I know. That's why I have to take my stupid watch off because every podcast it sets off the Siri and it starts talking in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> Fascinating. I'm sure our listeners are like, it's a new, it's a new angle. You know, we we discuss a lot of retail tech and we talk about, you know, how to improve the shopping experience. And I think that there's so many other aspects that make retail happen, right? It's not just you going in front of the store and transacting and getting what you want. And well, these things have obviously become so much more important in the last two years because you know you had to yes. make sure your stores were clean, you built that trust with your uh, customer base and the fact that they feel... And I think there's the second thing, right? Which is now with the labor shortage, you're having to have more, uh, you know, more is asked of the same employees. So they've got more to do. So there's gotta be a way to organize those tasks and make sure nothing is being missed as opposed to and so does your platform also have the ability to say hey here's the new responsibility that's been added on to you you're going to have to do this task yes absolutely but because most of the time they're shared responsibilities it's who working on tuesday at four is doing this no matter what generally a lot of those things just go right into the schedule but what's cool about the schedule though and one of the things is, which I think is a huge operational efficiency and it plays into the labor shortage as well too, is the, the platform was designed to be kind of, you build it once, you schedule it and you forget it, right? So just as an example, I always use is like, 
you know, we're coming into summer now. It's going to start getting hot next month and it's going to be burning hot for the next four months. So one thing that most responsible businesses would do right now is they would go get their HVAC service, right? They do it now and they should do it in October before the winter happens. So they don't have a day where they don't have any heat or air conditioning in, right. in, in yep. tax operations. So the, the, I, the idea behind it is, okay, I go into the platform and I go, you know what? I'm going to like, I need to get my HVAC service. Well, instead of just like writing it down and like sending an email off, I'll just go build a process schedule it for April 1st to April 30th and October 1st to October 31st, two different months in the year, get your HVAC service. Did you get it serviced? Upload the receipt, tell us what the price was. And, um, you know, were there any major issues we should be aware of? And it's, that just hits their schedule every April and every October in perpetuity so that it doesn't matter that the manager flipped five times in that five month period, because I can go into ops analytica and just go pull that report and go, Oh, the last time we got service was April 14th. And this was the big problem. Okay, cool. Or that can go to your facilities team and they can track those kinds of things. So it's just like, so much of this is like, so many of these businesses are all just a thousand little repeatable processes that we do every day across all these different departments. And if we could just get them into one platform, the data gain and the insight and the ability to like, just understand what's really happening is, is there for you. Yeah. And I do I say there's no such thing as bad data. It just tells us what's really happening so we can figure it out. Right. So Tommy, this is a fascinating conversation, but what do you think about, you know, with all the automation that's happening in store, with a lot of operational stuff is being automated. How does something like your platform play into that? Like if I have robots going up and down the aisles, scanning the aisles and doing things. Yeah. How does, uh, is that something that you guys have thought about? And That's the end game for me. So my, end, my like right now, like we're, we're adding sensors to our platform. Like we're in the process of adding those. So now we'll be bringing IoT sensors in. What I want to be, so operations management today is, human beings doing checklists, right? But in the future, we're going to have four or five different main sources of like things that we need to control. Number one is going to be employees. Number two is going to be robots. Number three is going to be sensors. Number four is going to be social media information, the internet pushing data in, right? And we're going to need a platform that can that can coordinate all of that, right? Because the robots, like, you know, I just met with, we have a guy in town that does robots. I was just out at a restaurant in the Stanley watching the robots deliver food and menus. That's still a very manual process with those robots today. But for us to, to truly be an integrated workplace, like integrated, technologically integrated, um, what we are gonna need is some, some piece of software that's telling the robot go over here, some piece of software that's listening to the internet that just said somebody tweeted, don't go to the bathroom in Kroger on Highlands Ranch Parkway because it's disgusting. That data is out there. We need to go get that data and then go, hey, wait a second. We need to get that data from the internet in real time and then send a task to the manager, go go check your bathroom because someone just tweeted your location. Like that's all of this all exists in the world somebody needs to be the orchestrator and coordinator of all this and bring it all together. You know, the sensor is going to tell us there's a problem. Can the robot go fix it? Can the human go fix it? Do we, do we ignore it? Like 
we got to coordinate it all, right? And and you can't allow a human to coordinate it all because their brain can't handle like just the amount of right. things happening. Wow. Wow. No, this is fascinating. I mean, I, I was expecting this conversation to be interesting, but this is way more interesting than I ever yeah, conceived it to be. And I'm sure it's super interesting for our listeners too, because this is something, you know, we tend to think that, you know, everything about AI and shopper facing technologies are yeah. cool and sexy and you don't realize how much else has to go into making a store run smoothly right well, Eric? nobody wants yeah. to do operations yeah because it's not sexy it's boring and it's repetitive and it's a lot of little details yeah. and and it's not fun and ai is fun and marketing is fun and robots that take your picture are fun and all these things are fun but like none of that happens if you don't have food on the shelf. That, that, that's right. Clean food like that you could eat that doesn't smell bad, you know? And if the store's dirty, like none of that happens right. without the day-to-day -day operations. But, but that's the hardest part. And like, what's interesting is, and I can't get over this. And I was literally just having this conversation with my business partner. Like, I don't, I know it's not sexy and it's not fun, but like, it's like, there are certain businesses that have built an ops culture, right? And they execute and they crush people because they are so good at ops. And, but yet eight, I would say 80% of the businesses are not great at ops to some yep. extent. They don't have that culture. And, and what I've been trying to preach to people, I'm going to leave you guys with one message and I hope I'm not going over here oh, no. is that, operations management platforms like mine and there are others out there right I, I i prefer mine but you know whatever um like they're the next i think we are the next big technological battleground right so when i got into this space in 2015 you know like all entrepreneurs i thought i'd open up my doors and i would just the orders would be flying off the shelf and for four years through 2019, every conversation we had with people was, we love this idea. We're looking to do this in the future. We're working on our POS. We're working on our app. We're working on our website ordering. We're working on delivery. Like these are the big four hot buttons to get these four sales channels and the technology behind them kind of in place, right? Curbside delivery, you name it, like all this and so they were always like, yeah, this is a great idea. We should totally do this, but we're really focused on our new POS or whatever it was. Then in 2019, things shifted. I think everyone kind of got through those projects for the most part. I know groceries sort of lagging behind on some of that, but they're in other places they're doing really, they're doing awesome stuff. But like, but the thing is, is that now we've all got the sales channels, right? There's no excuse if you don't have delivery or curbside or whatever, you're just choosing not to do that because it's all available. The technology's there, it's proven, it's SaaS, you can afford it, whatever. The reality is, is now we're going into a world where I believe that operations management, where you can do a better job of controlling what you can control, where you can manage these different technologies that are coming in and all this time-saving efficiency technologies need to come through, you can start controlling what you do better. You're going to give better customer experiences. And it's, and it's not one big thing. You're moving the needle on not screwing up a thousand little things. You're just trying to minimize your death by a thousand cuts, you know? 
and you're going to start incrementally getting better than your competitor who is not adopting this technology because they're going to be the guy who's spending five million dollars on labor and you're going to be the guy that spent two days figuring out that it was a hundred thousand in trash cans and moving on with your day and focusing on the next problem based off of data not just assumption and you will incrementally get better and as you incrementally get better your sales will go up your profits will go up then now your advertising goes up. Now you're getting better locations. Yeah. Now you're doing more promos, more BOGOs, more coupon drops. And you're going to see that Best Buy to uh, Circuit City deal. You know, you're going to see brands start to pull ahead and it's not going to be perceptible what they're doing, but then you're, you're going to be so far behind, you're going to be like the Avis to the Hertz. Right. And you're just not yep. going to understand how you got there because it's not one thing. It wasn't like they did a website. They did a thousand little things better than you every day. Right. And that's what my platform or platforms like mine should help you to be able to do. No, that's fascinating. That was been a great conversation. I wanted to thank you for your, for your time. And I th- I'm sure our listeners found it really, really interesting. Yeah. And Tommy, where, where do we find you? Opsanalytica.com? Uh, .co, .co, opsanalytica.co. And it's spelled stupid because some guy in Germany owns Opsanalytica, like you think it would be spelled. So it's O-P-S-A-N-A-L-I-T-I-C-A dot C-O. And that's uh, the Portuguese spelling of analytics. So it's uh-huh. Ops Analytics, but with the Portuguese spelling. Gary, anything before you wrap up? Yeah, so my last big question for you. Sure. What's more fun, being a comic or being a business person? <laughs> it, it, it depends on what age you are. So I would say in your 20s, being a comic is way better than being a business person. And I mean, let me just tell you, like, you know where we live. I would drive to Tucson for 200 bucks to do seven shows in like 1998. So I would be, and I'd sleep on the couch and this like a swamp cooler would blow dirt on me. And like, there were so many roaches in this apartment that when we left, we took all of our clothes and we put them in trash bags and we sprayed them full of raid. And then we tied them so that when we got home, we wouldn't get roaches in our houses. Oh, and like, that was stand-up comedy. And I was doing 15 minutes, seven shows, Wednesday through Sunday in Tucson, Albuquerque. You know, I used to drive, I used to drive from Chicago to Denver. I would get up at four, three in the morning in Chicago and then do a show in Denver that night, like 15 wow. hours of driving later. Wow. But it was amazing. But now at 50, no, this man <laughs> way better. I sit on my so, porch. So your definition of fun changes over time. Yeah, absolutely. And if yeah. I was a big famous comedian, even my friends that are big famous comedians, and I, I have a bunch. You know, they've been on the road 20, 30 years. Some of these guys, they're tired, you know? Yeah, it, it gets old. Yeah, but I mean, but I'll tell you, Comedy Works, downtown Denver, best comedy club in the country for like the best designed room. And there is nothing better, nothing in the world better than doing a set in that club on a Friday or Saturday night and killing. And the amount of like laughter and love that's coming at you, like that energy, that's like, that's like that perfect five iron golf shot that you make once every three years that keeps you playing golf for the next three years. Like it feeds your soul, you know, uh, I'll have to go check that out. 
Yeah. But, great, great conversation. Thank you for absolutely. being here. Thank, Thank you guys so much. so much. Appreciate your time. And, you know, this has been a terrific episode, Tommy. And, uh, oh, thank you. See you around. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. 